This week on Geek Explained, it's our five-year anniversary! To celebrate, I'm counting down my favorite comic book films of the past five years. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode marks the kickoff of our five year anniversary celebration. Across this and our book club, which I'll talk about later this Friday, we're going to be celebrating five years of Geek Explained. This has been a hell of a ride taking the podcast from its very first episode in March of 2018 all the way to now five years later and to celebrate on our Wednesday show we're going to be talking about my favorite films of the past five years my favorite superhero or comic inspired films from 2018 through 2022 uh this was a hell of a list to put together <laughs> it was very difficult because a lot of stuff has come out in the last five years and we're going to be talking about it all here we also have of course speaking of comic book adaptations we have our latest weekly review on the final season of the flash and this week's comics countdown where i'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week so make sure you stay tuned after the jump for that but for now before we get into all of that without further ado let's roll right into this week's main event the main course the entree if you will as I count down my five favorite comic book films of the last five years. Come on. Five years, five years, still you, still me, still here. Five years, five years, baby. Five years, five years. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and on today's inaugural episode, we're going to talk about the top five comics that you should be reading. Sit back, relax, and. Oh. I don't know if you can hear that. That's our neighbor's dog, who is very excited about the comics we're going to talk about. So, yeah, that's the intro. Uh, enjoy the list, and I will see you guys at the end of the episode. Now, here are the top five comics that you should be reading. 
So that audio was from our very first episode. Um, It feels like a lifetime ago, genuinely, though anything before 2020 feels like a life ago. Uh, But yeah, that was audio from our first episode ever, the top five comics you should be reading in 2018. And five years later, we are still talking about comics. We are still going strong with the podcast and we are still mispronouncing names and uh shaking around our audio quality (laughs) um but yeah it's it's funny like it's funny looking back at that and what the podcast was gonna be um genuinely a completely different show when i first started out versus what it is today but as we are looking at it five years on I mean, it's it's crazy how much the show has grown, how much the show has evolved and changed. And even just this past year, how much I've kind of changed things around, doing away with certain segments, bringing in new stuff, getting to have wonderful conversations. Um, there's been a lot that's gone around, and I have been kind of racking my brain in trying to figure out what I wanted this five-year anniversary episode to be. But ultimately, I kept coming back to what brought me to the dance in the first place, what brought me back to wanting to put a podcast together in the first place. And that was a conversation between uh, me and friend of the podcast and uh, recurring special guest, uh, Chris Carter, who has been on several different Explained Extra series at this point. We were talking about some of the latest comic book movies that were going to be coming out that had come out. And he was telling me, like, you know, you should make a podcast for people who are interested in in comic book movies but don't know a lot about the comics. And so when I was thinking about where I should go for this episode, I decided to kind of bring it back, bring it back to the initial inception of Geek Explained and talk about my favorite comic book films of the last five years. So this is how it's going to work. I'm looking at films from 2022 all the way to 2018, and I've got five movies per year that we're going to be talking about. I'm just going to be going kind of off the cuff somewhat I do have them ranked so it's me I have to have things ranked so I've got them ranked every single year is uh, something different so I have you know the top five of each year and I'm just gonna say it out you know in the beginning mild spoilers and also we'll probably disagree if we do disagree feel free to reach out whether it's through email to geeksplain at gmail.com whether it's on socials Twitter, Instagram, at GeekSplainedPod. Uh, Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it because I feel like as we go along, there might be some surprises. So strap in for that. Let's just go ahead and dig into this. First things first, I'm going to go in reverse chronological order. So we are going to start in 2022 and work our way backwards. So 2022 was a year of a lot of superhero content. arguably too much superhero content but that's neither here nor there when it comes to films this was the uh the mcu as well as dc films kind of trying to course correct this was the end of phase four this was kind of the beginning of dc's 
I don't, I don't know if I want to call it a renaissance yet, because we don't know what's going on after this, but there were hits and there were absolute misses on both sides. And through it all, there were films and projects that absolutely were worth talking about. So let's kick things off. 2022, at number five, I have Black Adam. Yes, I do have Black Adam. It's a movie that is... And I, I want to make sure I'm using this term correctly. Mid. It is a movie that is not the worst movie I've ever seen. But it's also nowhere near any kind of good movie that I can think of. You know, it's a film that I personally was not super excited for. And it's a movie that I watched on opening day in an empty movie theater. This is a true story. I saw it at... The I believe it was the Burbank 16 AMC, whatever, right there in downtown Burbank. And I walked into an empty theater opening day and watched that movie by myself. So that kind of gives you an idea on what was really going on with that movie. And it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't terrible. Uh, it was a fine movie. It was a movie that happened uh, that... The Rock obviously had a lot of investment in. You know, it took 15 years to make. And at the end of the day, he just wasn't really the most compelling part for me. That was the JSA. And I'm, I mean, I'm a basic bitch for Justice Society. What can I say? That might come up later. Who knows? I really enjoyed the JSA in this. Um, Noah Centineo as the Adam was fine. He'd served a purpose. Um... But the the big standouts for me were obviously Pierce Brosnan as uh, as Doctor Fate, as well as Aldous Hodge as Hawkman. Uh, Quintessa Swindell uh, as Cyclone was also good. She was there. Uh, her visuals were really really cool. Uh, but the relationship that sold the movie for me was Hawkman and Doctor Fate. Like. Hands down, they're the most compelling part, and I was way more interested in everything that J- the JSA was doing that over Black Adam and anything that was going on with him. It was just it was a movie that I think if it was released in the early to mid two thousands would have done really really well, but for my money, just wasn't up to par when it came to quality that we come to expect from our superhero flicks in 2022. So at number five, at number four, we've got Werewolf by Night. Is this cheating? You be the judge. I can't hear you. This is already recorded. I loved Werewolf by Night. It was something that I don't think anyone was expecting when it was announced, but by the time it was released, oh man, was it heralded. It felt different. It felt fresh. It felt like they were trying at this point in the, in the MCU. There is a common critique that the MCU, Disney, Marvel are kind of resting on their laurels. They did the big Infinity Saga. They had the first three phases. Now they can just coast. And this felt like they decided, let's try again. Just once. Just once. And we'll see what happens. And Werewolf by Night was a fantastic ode to old school horror. It was something that got to touch on 
pieces of the Marvel Universe that I don't think the MCU is ever going to touch. Man-Thing, for God's sake, but also characters like Elsa Bloodstone. Like, and uh, obviously, uh, man Mana werewolf Man-at-Wolf. Werewolf by Night. That is his name. I don't know why I started to give him a bunch of different names. But I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fresh. It felt exciting. It felt different from ev- literally everything else in not just Phase 4, but in the MCU. And at this stage of the game, like, that's what you want. Obviously, it was just, you know, a one-hour short, but we need more of those. Give me more special presentations. The MCU could surely use them. Let me tell you what. Uh, I'm hoping that we get more stuff like Werewolf by Night. You know, give me more stuff of Elsa Bloodstone, just going around and seeing weird shit. Like, I am into that idea so we'll see what comes of that but i really really loved it uh number three i also really loved dr strange in the multiverse of madness uh we did an episode late last year ranking all of phase four so if you want more you know in-depth thoughts alongside good brother in front of the podcast troy of the troy oboyo 17 youtube channel uh go check out that episode in the archives we had a ton of fun ranking phase four and um Doctor Strange ranked highly for both of us, uh, more so for him than for me, uh, just because Sam Raimi is his boy, so I absolutely get that. But I loved how this felt like a th- this felt like an evolution of the first Doctor Strange movie, which a lot of people don't really seem to love. I really enjoy it, but it is a classic like origin story film and the MCU doesn't always strike gold with those but i really loved the choices obviously the raimi of it all really elevated this past most of the script and the effects the practical you know zombie doctor strange stuff making wanda as a villain seem terrifying i still get chills every time i watch that first dream walking sequence and she looks straight down the camera i ah, it still gives me the heebie-jeebies even even all this time later and i just i I'm, i'm a sucker for that stuff plus it has the cinematic debut of the king of the inhumans blackagar boltagon which means it's automatically five stars. Uh, I <laughs> I really, really enjoy this film. I like that it's a character study on Doctor Strange, on what it means to be happy after you've achieved greatness. And it's a film that I think is going to grow in fondness as time goes on, if for no other reason than that it made some big swings. It didn't always land, those swings, but it made some big swings, and I really, really enjoyed it for that reason. At number two, we have Black Panther Wakanda Forever. This was always going to be a cinematic event after the passing of Chadwick Boseman, and his presence, his loss, is felt throughout this entire film. That's really what the film is about. It's a film on grief, It's a film on, you know, legacy. It's a film based on home and family and what that means to you when it comes to compromising your morals and your values. Uh, Namor, played by Tenoch Huerta, is 
an absolute star. I need Namor in every single Marvel project going forward now because he was dynamic, he was electric, and he was the business. Just alongside that, Angela Bassett as Queen Ramonda. She was, oh my god, she stole this. She's getting nominations in award ceremonies, and she absolutely deserves the nominations. Uh, Angela Bassett has been a lightning rod for good quality, when it, whether it's uh, superhero or otherwise, genre films or otherwise. And she's just dynamite in this she is incredible and her loss in this film hits just as hard at the midpoint of this story uh there is the Letitia Wright of it all and all of that stuff I kind of have to set to the side because I just I don't have the bandwidth to really get into that discussion obviously we disagree on a lot but I don't want to turn this into let's just talk about my grievances with Letitia Wright so I'm going to talk about the film which I think is stunning Ryan Coogler put everything into this as not just a story of grief but also a tribute to both T'Challa as a character and Chadwick Boseman as a person and as a performer and it's a film that is emotionally draining but in the best way you feel each hit each sacrifice each loss each victory and the world building that Ryan Coogler did for uh Talokan the MCU Atlantis basically is breathtaking and I can't wait to spend more time there more time with Namor and see where those characters go from here uh, it's a film that I have a hard time re-watching I've watched it twice I believe and it's difficult just because it is so emotionally heavy but that can't overshadow the fact that this film is incredible and it's a film that capped off phase four in the best way so i had to put it on here and it had to be as high as it was but of course i gushed about it i still gush about it at number one the batman this was a film that was hyped to the moon matt reeves had a hell of a job ahead of him, coming off not just the DCU and all the bullshit that was going on there, but from the high bar that he set for himself with genre filmmaking like Cloverfield and the Planet of the Apes movies. This man said, I am going to put myself under the most scrutiny and tackle the character that is possibly with the exception of maybe superman the most polarizing character in comic book media and said let's make a dark my chemical romance murder mystery <laughs> and he pulled it off robert pattinson as bruce wayne is the batman that i've been waiting for on screen i love the detective aspect you can get into the nitty-gritty of how good of a detective story it is all day but the fact that they actually took the time to make this a detective story fires on all cylinders for me the supporting cast is incredible andy circus as alfred Come on, it is wonderful 
how he finally gets to shine on screen, not just in his motion capture roles. Uh, You also have Paul Dano as the Riddler. Obviously. Incredible. Even though it is a complete turnaround and complete 180 left turn from the traditional uh, depictions of that character. (sighs) Let's talk for one second about Jeffrey Wright as as Lieutenant James Gordon. This is my Jim Gordon, man. Like, I love this version of the character, and I need more. I need more Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon. I need him in everything. Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. Maybe the best on-screen Catwoman? That, that's a, it's a tough question that I We'll probably have to get into some other time, but she's phenomenal. Colin Farrell as the Penguin. I saw that they just started up filming for that Penguin series, and I'm sure it's going to be great. But his gabagool energy is something that I never expected to hear from the Penguin as a character, but now I can't unhear it. Uh, The score is phenomenal. The cinematography is great. The world building is tremendous. And I just, I am a sucker for a Batman that learns things i am a sucker for a batman that learns lessons is fallible and ultimately decides to fight for hope rather than vengeance i love it it's a tremendous film and absolutely was my comic book film of the year so that is 2022 uh 2021 rotating the clock back 2021 was an interesting time because it was the first year coming out of the lockdowns coming out of the early stages of the pandemic where we were trying to get back in the groove of enjoying films again enjoying media going out to the movie theater was the most stressful thing in the world and 2021 had a lot to prove this was the year that they needed to get people back into enjoying media and enjoying comic book movies in all their forms and this also provided me at least with a resurgence in animation we will be talking about several pieces of animation throughout this list but when it comes to comic book films comic book movies animation hit for me in two big bad ways so let's talk about this at number five justice society world war two i love this film i love the justice society uh this was co-written by friends of the podcast, Megan Fitzmartin and Jeremy Adams. Go check out our interviews with both of them. Jeremy's was for, in the lead up to the debut of One Minute War, and Megan's was during our Geektober Gotham Nights, where we got to gush about Tim Drake. I love the Justice Society, and I'm glad that they have had kind of a resurgence over the years, showing up in The Flash, Stargirl, that comic that seems to want to come out, but just can't figure out how to get the store shelves. I love the Justice Society, and this was a great film involving that. Do I wish that it was a movie that didn't have to involve any of the present-day characters and just centered on the Justice Society? Yes, 100%. Do I recognize that for the story that they are trying to tell and their interconnectivity with their new Tomorrowverse, that they needed the characters from the modern day to provide that bridge? Absolutely. I get it. The animation is really fun. The characters are there. My boy Jay Garrick is there. And 
it's just a fun time. It's a great time travel story. It's a great story about dealing with not just uh, time travel, but also the multiverse, which is all the rage right now. It's a fun animated film, and I can't recommend it enough. Huge, huge fan of Justice Society World War II. At number four, we have Spider-Man No Way Home. This was a cinematic experience that I will never forget. Uh, We had been doing the lead-up to this on the podcast with the critically acclaimed, award-winning Geeksplained Extra series Spidey Sember, where I, alongside Chris Carter and AJ Kincaid, went through all of the Spider-Man films leading up to the release of this. And then, the theater experience. Running through the rain with good brother John Noble as we ran to the theater with me and my Jordan kicks. I Getting in there, watching this film, it was... Nostalgia, high nostalgia, we'll say. Do I think that the film upon rewatches doesn't hit as hard as it does for that initial viewing? 100%. Do I think that the first third of the film is near unwatchable because of how closely it is aligned with Far From Home when it comes to quality and storytelling? 100%. But then they kill Aunt May. And from there on, it is peak cinematic Spidey storytelling. Not just reuniting us with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield in the forms of Peter 2 and Peter 3, but just allowing us to sit with the nostalgia, sit with the legacy, and sit with these characters, some of which we'd been with for over 20 years, and really just allowing ourselves to have fun at the movie theater again. It was it was an experience that I'm never going to forget. Uh, it's not one of my favorite, you know, MCU films, but it's a film that I am definitely going to look back on fondly for the times around it, for what it represented and the people that I got to share it with. So it's definitely up there for me. Next up, we have The Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad was a film that I don't think anyone expected to be good just because we had the previous Suicide Squad film and then they announced the Suicide Squad. There was a lot of hubbub. There was a lot of excitement around it due to the involvement of James Gunn jumping ship after being ostracized from the MCU before later being welcomed back with open arms. And he went to their competitor and said, I'm going to do it over here as well. And this led into to the success of Peacemaker, which led into James Gunn now being alongside Peter Safran, the the head of DC Films, the shepherd of that division, riding the ship in some respects and taking us on the next voyage of DC Films. This was what started that. The cast stacked. The characters D-list. The story hilarious and incredibly heartfelt. Uh, the death of Rick Flagg really actually hits me every single time um it is the performances like dave dusmalchian as the polka dot man that make this sing the rivalry between peacemaker and um what bloodsport bloodsport is his name right no that's wrong why why am i suddenly blanking on his name I am going to look this up in real time. The Suicide Squad. 
It is Bloodsport. Okay. So it is Bloodsport. So the two of them, really, really fun chemistry. Uh, Ratcatcher 2. I mean, Daniela Melchior can do anything, and I will never find anything wrong with it. Um, this also seems to be the swan song for Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. We don't know this for a fact yet, but she doesn't seem to be attached to any other like projects when it comes to DC going forward, especially with the reboots and whatnot. So this might be the last time we see her, which if it is, hell of a way to go out for sure. It does lose some points because it killed my boy at the very beginning. I knew it was going to happen in, in my heart of hearts. I knew it was going to happen. I hoped it wouldn't, but I knew that it would. Uh, the death of Captain Boomerang is heartbreaking, but I understand I get it. It's the Suicide Squad. You got to have some big deaths to set the stakes. And I don't know. It's just good. And also King Shark is amazing. I love this film. It's really, really fun. Uh, at number uh, number two, we have Batman Soul of the Dragon. I, to the fucking love, Batman Soul of the Dragon. Another animated film. Also written by Jeremy Adams. Uh, this film takes everything that I love about Batman, everything that I love about kung fu movies, everything I I hazard to say love about the uh, exploitation films of the 70s that re and just kind of bottles up all of it into one package. Um, this stars Batman alongside Richard Dragon, Bronze Tiger, and Lady Shiva. I just, I love it, and it's just, it's kung fu as hell, it's 70s as hell, it's just, it's so good. The score, the vocal performances, the animation, it's wild how good this movie is. And the fact that they did such a big swing at the end to have them all go into hell to fight the demons that threaten the world, even though it would surely mean that they would never make it back to Earth. Holy shit! Like, it's the only way, it's the only, like, you're only able to get away with stuff like that in animation that's non-canon to the rest of this wider connected bullshit. And this is why I feel like more original, non-connected stuff should be allowed. Give us more stuff so that they can take bigger swings. I love this film to death. I was absolutely over the moon and recommending this to everyone who I could talk to after watching this film and it absolutely ranks among the top five DC animated films of all time for me no question I loved this film but it couldn't beat my number one which is to the surprise of no one Shang-Chi the Legend of the Ten Rings there is something truly special about seeing an Asian American superhero that isn't played up for stereotype, that isn't played up for laughs, that has a story that anybody can get into and get invested in. This is also just something that I personally love. I mean, I love Kung Fu movies, but I also love stories about family. Um, phase four was the multiverse, you know, phase, but it was also the phase of family and generational trauma. 
And I mean, generational trauma, I think, is a a wider genre of film for the last few years. 2020 happened and everyone's like, we need to talk about trauma. But I love this film for its focus on family and how imperfect that can be. I love this film for giving us sweet fight choreography and introducing us to characters that we will get invested in and be invested in for years to come. And I love this movie for being able to look at a character and see myself on the big screen. That is the biggest, it's the biggest thing. I went to a Comic-Con after this film came out. And I'm not going to cry. I get emotional on this podcast, but I'm not going to cry. I saw kids dressed up as Shang-Chi and Shailene. I saw families, Asian families, get excited to go see a superhero movie. I got to participate at WonderCon, which I'm going to be attending again this year. I got to be part of a group photo of nine other Shang-Chi's. And even two, three years ago, you would have never seen something like that. And not just because we're in a pandemic and all the cons shut down. You would have never seen something like that. And the popularity of it, the success of it, led to people giving chances to more Asian cinema. Led to people getting excited about Asian cinema. And led to the director of this film, Daniel Dustin Creighton, getting the nod to direct Kang Dynasty, an Avengers film. I just, I I love this film. I absolutely love this film, but it's a, it's a top five MCU film for me. I adore this film with my whole heart. So that is 2021. 2020 was interesting because obviously from March on, everything kind of shut down. So there was no going to the theater. There was no, or at least anybody who tried to release stuff in the theaters did not see a lot of success. But that was also a movie or it was also a year that I got to catch up on a lot of things that I loved because I was at home. I couldn't go anywhere. I got to catch up on video games. I got to play video games that I loved. I got to watch things. I got to get in touch with my artistic side and start drawing again. I got, I got introduced to D&D and it has been such a large part of my life since then. 2020 is a year that I'm in a really strange way thankful for. Because I don't think I would be in the same place that I am right now without that year happening. So 2020 was an odd year for superhero media, but there were still films that are worth talking about and worth looking back on. So let's dig into this at number five, New Mutants. I'm just going to say it, New Mutants. New Mutants is a film that is not as bad as people think it is, but it's not very good either. It's in that same vein as a Black Adam where if it had come out in the mid-2000s, people would have been going batshit for this. Um, New Mutants obviously deals with the characters on the team of the same name. You've got your sunspots. You've got your cannonballs. You've got your dark childs before she became dark child and, you know, was just known as magic. I, 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 there was so much potential in this. There was so much potential in this. This being treated as a superhero horror film. I still think superhero horror is a viable genre that hasn't really been 
it's it, it's a well of potential and storytelling that hasn't been mined yet and i think that we might see more of this as time goes on stuff like werewolf by night as tongue-in-cheek as it was um we might see more of this and i hope we do because horror and the superhero genre have a lot in common and so I I would love to see more of this. Um, I also would just love to see more of Anya Taylor Joy. I I I can't ignore my biases. I think she's neat, and that's all I am going to say here. But she was a wonderful, wonderful magic. Um, Maisie Williams, I think, is her name. That's probably not her name. It's Maisie something. And uh, she played Wolfsbane. She was fantastic, obviously. We had the Stranger Things kid as Cannonball. I thought he did great. And that other kid also played Sunspot. They were a great core group. And as basically the final swan song for the Fox X-Men era before inevitably they kind of retroactively make Deadpool 3 the swan song for the Fox X-Men era... uh, this was exactly what we thought it would be. A quiet, uh, individual, loosely attached to the other films in the universe movie that really just didn't have the success that it needed to to keep that IP going forward. Um, if you haven't seen it, I would recommend watching it. I don't think it's a movie that you should watch twice, but I think it's a movie you should watch at least once. The effects, some of the effects are insanely cool. Um, the story is it's fine, but like the effects, some of the performances are really fun. It's worth a watch for sure. Uh, in that same vein, at number four, Wonder Woman 1984, which I still think is better than people give it credit for it is the popular thing and it has been since the day that it released to shit on this movie and i am here to say look i get that you have your opinion and your opinion is good but it could be better Pedro Pascal is having a renaissance if i've ever seen one and people will you know, try to sweep Maxwell Lord under the rug, but this performance deserves as much praise as Mando and Joel Miller. And you can pry that truth from my cold, dead hands. I really enjoy a lot of the choices of this film. A lot of the choices, I don't. I really don't. I don't think we needed Steve Trevor. It makes his death in the first one completely meaningless. And it also has some really icky complications and certain things that, uh, that, that, that are just bad. They're just real bad. But they also continue to show why Gal Gadot was a wonderful Wonder Woman for the universe that they built for her. Patty Jenkins, uh... Patty Jenkins, you know, may have gotten a little bit too much creative freedom here, but I think she wanted to make a film that she felt sincerely invested in, and she did. And I will never fault a movie, especially a superhero movie, for ending the central conflict with a conversation. I will never fault a film for that, and I adore the spirit of this. The opening of the film is Donner's Superman 
in the modern day and I love the shit out of that. You know I love the shit out of that. So there is no world in which I can ever hate this movie. Uh, is it, you know, do I think there's going to be a Wonder Woman 3? No chance. No chance. Especially not with the new uh DC being what it is, I just, I don't think it's going to happen. Patty Jenkins, I think we we heard recently, her uh, Star Wars movie just got shelved. I think her third Wonder Woman movie is going to go the same way. I hope not. But at this point, I think they are going to recast. And if they do, I mean, you know, one out of two ain't bad for really solid Wonder Woman films. Uh, like I said, I, I don't hate this film. I do think that it, you know, makes a lot of choices that are really bad. But it is nowhere near the monstrosity that people make it out to be. At number three, we have My Hero Academia Heroes Rising. Because, and stick with me here, listen to this. Shh, come here, come here. Manga is also comic books, and comic books also include manga. Just wanted to put that out there for those of you who like to make a harsh delineation between the two. Uh, this movie was really good. I remember watching this and not really having any kind of expectations. I think I watched this before. I watched uh, Two Heroes which comes out before this, even though this is the second movie. Either way, um, this was a great, great movie. You know, you get the classic, let's take the, let's take class 1A, take him to this island where nothing could possibly go wrong, and then everything goes wrong. It has a very Tree of Might uh, feel to it, which I think works in its favor. And the ending, uh, the ending fight, between, I believe it's uh, Deku, Bakugo, and I think his name is Nine, uh, is fantastic. With the potential of Deku saying goodbye to One for All and giving it to Bakugo, chills. Absolute chills. Loved it from head to toe. Great, great movie. Had a lot of fun with it. Um, I haven't watched the most recent one, but My Hero Academia is a... is an anime and a manga that I adore with my whole heart because of course I do. And I will always jump at the chance to include it on a list like this. At number two, we have Superman, Man of Tomorrow, the beginning of the Tomorrowverse. After Justice League, Dark Apocalypse War, Dark Justice League, uh, Fatal Flashpoint, uh, this was the first film of the brand new direction for the DC animated films, aka the Tomorrowverse, uh, featuring a stellar voice cast, featuring a brand new kind of origin story. No, this is pretty much an origin story for Superman, a young Superman voiced by Darren Chris. Shout out to the half Filipino Superman. Uh, I... I, I really, I enjoyed this. You know, you got your Martian Manhunter and your Lobo in this. You have Parasite as the, I don't want to say a villain, but he, he's the antagonist alongside Lobo. Uh, clearly taking a lot from a couple of, uh, a couple of really good Superman stories with really questionable creators. Uh, Superman's secret origin and Superman uh, American Alien. I really enjoyed this movie. It's a movie that said, hey, what if Superman was good? And what if that was just okay? <laughs> 
What if Superman could be a good guy for a movie? Let's try that. Novel idea. And it worked. It worked so well that they decided to establish an entire universe out of it. They learned at, they they said we are no longer going to do these interconnected um cinematic universes for the animated films we're going to let each movie stand on its own and the success of this made them go we have learned absolutely nothing and we are creating an interconnected animated universe once again and i think that has to do and you know can be largely attributed to the success of this film and just how good it was taking a movie that said hey let's have people believe that Superman as an idea can be someone we can root for is a concept that I don't think gets enough praise. I don't think gets enough, you know, attention. And for the job that it's done, and you can argue about the uh, quality of the Tomorrowverse since this movie. I haven't watched Legion of Superheroes yet. I'm very excited, especially because my boy Yuri Lowenthal is voicing Monel. I, you know, I I think it's absolutely a great direction for them to be going in because they're telling sort of original stories that take a lot from the comics. Uh, Batman Long Halloween and, you know, maybe we can even attribute that one Green Lantern movie notwithstanding. I I think it's a great direction. It was established by a movie that had a lot of love and a lot of heart imbued into it. So that's why it's at number two. And obviously I'm a basic bitch for Superman. So of course it's going to be there. But number one, the only movie I saw in theaters in 2020. Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Another movie that people love to shit on because it's different. And I just, I I adore this movie. The soundtrack, the performances, the visual language. Margot Robbie at the height of her power. And of course, we are introduced to One Black Canary. I, to the fucking love, Journey Smollett as Black Canary, and I hope her project as Black Canary on HBO Max has not been scrapped because she was tremendous. I also, because I am who I am and I came of age around the same time that Scott Pilgrim vs. the World came out, have had a massive crush on Mary Elizabeth Winstead for most of my life. And I... Just cannot get enough of her Huntress. It's so fun. It's so reserved. It's so socially awkward. Uh, The one big, I think, detriment to me, the one point that knocks it, obviously the Cassandra Cain of it all, who is Cassandra Cain in name only and in nothing else. But the visual language, the choreography, the fights in this and the performance by one Ewan McGregor as Black Mask because they couldn't use the Joker was just incredible. It's a movie that I don't think could have been made at the beginning of this DCEU in the middle of this DCEU or even now, but it paved the way for a lot of the direction that I think we saw that character go. The Harley Quinn that is in The Suicide Squad absolutely went through Birds of Prey first. I can see a clear line with that. If that ends up not being true when it comes to the canon, 
whatever. But like, I can clearly see a through line in that character arc. And this is just such a fun movie that doesn't take itself too seriously, that focuses on having a good time while also telling an energetic story about learning to be okay with yourself. And plus, it's got one of the most breathtaking bacon, egg, and cheese sandwiches that I've ever seen put to film. Iconic. Can't beat that. So that's 2020. We are quickly approaching the end here, uh, winding the clock back one year to 2019. 2019 was a big year for the MCU specifically. DC was still trying to kind of stem the bleeding after the complete and total disaster that was 2016's Justice League. But 2019 was the MCU's year. 2019 and 2018, arguably, maybe not arguably, but those two years were the culmination of 10 plus years of storytelling from the very first Iron Man all the way to Avengers Endgame. This was the closing of the chapter. This was the closing of the storybook, at least for this phase of that um of that MCU. This was the end of a long time run. This was the end of Jason Aaron on Thor's. This was the end of Brian Michael Bendis on Ultimate Spider-Man. This was a huge deal to have these characters, some that would stick around, but a large majority of them would ride off into the sunset. And we got to see not just that, but also big swings once again. Big swings being made, and I really, really enjoyed it. So let's dive into this list. At number five for 2019, we have Reign of the Supermen. Now, this was part two of a two-part story that obviously was preceded by the death of Superman, which we will talk about. Don't you worry about that. But Reign of the Supermen tells almost a blend of classic New 52 and Rebirth era DC trying to tackle one of the most iconic Superman stories of all time. Blending in the aesthetic of the New 52 uh, with the hopefulness of the Rebirth era and at the same time taking a 90s story and trying to adapt it to modern day. This gave us the Superman, the Eradicator, Superboy, don't call him Superboy, he's the Metropolis Kid, uh, the Cyborg Superman, and of course, Steel. And decided, let's just tell a good frickin' story for once! Let's try that, maybe! And even though this would, the very next year, lead into Justice Dark League, Dark Apocalypse War, Dark Final Fatal Flashpoint Crisis, I really love the imagery of this Superman after going through this large ordeal, flying off into the sunset into hopefully brighter days. I thought the voice cast was phenomenal. Uh, I don't really think it's as good as The Death of Superman. It's part one, but it's still a really solid movie and a great adaptation of that iconic story. At number four, we have Captain Marvel. This was Brie Larson's introduction into the MCU and once again is a film that people love to shit on even though it's pretty good. It's pretty good. 
I really enjoyed a lot of what made this film tick. Uh, it's 90s nostalgia, which of course I'm a sucker for. You know me, I'm a 90s baby. So I enjoyed seeing a lot of the fashion, a lot of the iconography of the 90s. I wish more 90s stuff was implemented, more of a 90s soundtrack, more 90s um, involvement when it came to the narrative. But for what we got... I liked it. I really like Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. A lot of people seem to have a problem with her, which, I mean, is well documented. But I think she's great. Her chemistry with Samuel L. Jackson as a young Nick Fury is really, really good as well. This is probably the most, you know deep version of that character that we have or may ever get secret invasion notwithstanding still haven't seen it hasn't come out yet and i just i really enjoyed this movie i thought it was a fun time and sometimes that's okay number three we have justice league versus the fatal five the reunion of the jlu cast (sighs) And one of, not the, but one of the final projects of Kevin Conroy as Batman. Rewatching this movie uh, hits me harder every single time. Um, this movie was not just a continuation of those characters. It was an introduction to Jessica Cruz, played incredibly by Diane Guerrero. And introduced us to not just this version of the Fatal Five, but also this version of the Legion. Uh, Gave us Starboy, and also gave us a really great look at my boy, Mon Al! I will will pop anytime that Mon Al shows up. I just, I can't be stopped. And I, I really enjoyed this. It was nostalgic. The animation was just as solid as ever. All of your favorites are there, except for Green Lantern and Hawkgirl, which is a strange uh, omission. But I really enjoyed this movie. I think it's, if you are a fan of the JLU or just the DCAU as a whole, you are going to love it. Carries a lot of that same spirit without feeling exploitative, like Batman and Harley Quinn. And it feels like a story that, ultimately feels timeless with what they are trying to tell jessica cruz i hope she gets more i hope she shows up in other things doesn't have to be this version of jessica cruz but i just i feel like there's a lot that you can do with that character and hell i mean bring diane guerrero you know back and have her play her in live action doom patrol's ending And number two, we have Shazam, because I love Shazam and you're all just mean. As we are recording this, Shazam Fury of the Gods comes out next week, and I could not be more excited. Shazam has had also a bit of a resurgence recently in the last few years, and I mean, part of it is due to this movie and how much people really enjoyed it. It's a fun comedy movie that also has a ton of heart and has probably one of, if not the most gut-wrenching and darkest scenes in a comic book movie we've ever seen. Uh, Billy and his mom. I'm just going to say that. If you know, you know. If you don't, watch the film and have your heart broken into little tiny pieces. I also love the supporting cast. I love the family. I'm really glad. No, you know, uh, no disrespect to the actress that they got to play Mary Marvel, but I'm glad that young Mary is 
just being Mary in the second movie because that's how it should be and that's how it's always been. So I'm really excited to get more of her. I'm really get excited to get more of the whole Shazam fam, the Shafam. If you don't don't call it that. Um I I just I love this movie. I think Zachary Levi, you know, real world views and you know viewpoints and values notwithstanding is a wonderful captain um i still think that uh whatever his name is who plays freddie was miscast and he should have been billy batson because he i mean just he embodies that energy but at the same time then we would miss out on you know zachary levi as the as the captain with Freddie and the two of them and their energy together because their uh their chemistry is off the charts so I just I I really like this movie I always have fun with it it's incredibly rewatchable and I think that you know I'm I'm hopeful that we get more Shazam stuff going forward even if it doesn't involve this cast I just just James 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 come here come here come here James just do a new champion of Shazam with Mary as the champion and have her lead the Shazam movies. Just an idea. Just an idea. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Come here. Come here. Come here. Real quick. Just just have James just read uh, Josie Campbell and Doc Shaner's uh, new champion of Shazam and uh, maybe make that the next series. Who knows? You could make that into an HBO Max series. Uh, you could turn that into a trilogy of films where she is the leader. Who knows? I just, I, I just, I, I, I just think it's interesting. I think it's worth exploring. So I really enjoy Shazam. I think it's a wonderful film, and I do think that it absolutely, of course, deserves to be in consideration for the best superhero film of 2019. But it might have been the best if it didn't come out the same year as freaking Avengers Endgame. <laughs> Avengers Endgame owned 2019 for my money in my heart still the highest grossing film of all time avatar one be damned um it's a it's a wonder that this film didn't fail with all of the factors going against it with everything that could have gone wrong the fact that the russos stuck the landing with endgame as not just a conclusion but as a celebration of everything that came before it masterfully done not since the first avengers have i felt like they handled the ensemble cast as well as they could um between this and infinity war which again we will talk about Across both of those films as a two-part story, the handling of an ensemble cast as large as the MCU had become was almost, I mean, it was it was too difficult a task to fail. I don't know, or too, dis- too difficult a task to succeed with, and I don't think honestly that it could have gone any better. Now, obviously, it's not a perfect film. I never said it was, but I do think that as a conclusion to that Infinity Saga, you couldn't have asked for a better conclusion. So that's 2019, and now we come to the final leg of our journey. 2018, the year we started this podcast. Um, This was a year of impossibilities. This was a year of superhero media 
hitting that zenith. I think when we were, and I've talked about before how we're kind of in that, we're, we're, we might be heading to the end of it, but we're in this golden age of superhero media, superhero adaptation. And 2018 is kind of the shining example of that, right? We had everything leading up to 2018, and we've now had everything after 2018. And 2018 was kind of a to use a uh, popular comic book colloquialism, it was a flashpoint for comic book media. We knew what could be done with the format. We knew what could be done with adaptation. But 2018 set the bar so freaking high that I think we've been chasing it ever since. And so 2018, number five, we kick things off with Deadpool 2. Is it bigger than Deadpool 1? Yes. Do I think it's... Not as good as Deadpool 1? Yeah, also. But Deadpool 2 is everything you loved in Deadpool but more. And whether you like that or not is totally up to you, the viewer. This film introduced more time travel stuff. This film introduced Josh Brolin as Cable. One of the best castings in a live-action film that I think we've ever seen when it comes to comic book properties. And we also got... Chef's Kiss, Raise Him Up, Zazzy Beats as Domino. I need more Zazzy Beats in my life. I need more Zazzy Beats in literally everything. And Domino needs to be in more things. Uh, this film plays a lot with Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. And Ryan Reynolds at this point has just become Deadpool. And even though I have expressed my frustration at that, I've expressed both on and off mic how I don't get excited about Ryan Reynolds stuff or Deadpool stuff anymore. This was at a point where I hadn't been burned out yet. Oh, 2018, Eric. You had no idea what was coming. But it surprisingly has a lot of heart. It kills Morena Baccarin immediately, which I think was a baffling choice but also decides to tell a story about found family and letting go, about grief, about, you know, dealing with your feelings post, you know, a traumatic event. And the scene between him and his, the love of his life with that soft acoustic uh, take on me just talking away before... Last of Us Part Two did it. Um, it's, I mean, what what do you what do you want me to say? It's it's a tremendous example of taking something that doesn't feel like it has substance and really sowing a heart into it, and showing people that you don't always have to judge a book by its cover, especially when it comes to. Uh, comic book films so i really enjoy it i still think that the first one is a tighter story it's a better story but everything you love about deadpool 1 is cranked up to 11 in deadpool 2 and there's got to be something to say about that next up at number four we have death of superman this was obviously part one to reign of superman's part two i adore this film because it it does the thing that I love in Superman stories, and it makes what Superman is and what he stands for mean something. And it makes the people around him give a shit about Superman. I love the idea of the Death of Superman story purely because it's Superman giving everything to the people who 
may or may not deserve it, may or may not want him around, but he does it anyway because that is what he does, giving everything he can to protect the people that he loves. And who he loves is the entire planet. This obviously has a lot of uh, New 52 trappings because it is part of that Decamu, that DC animated movie universe, prior to uh, Justice League, Apocalypse, Dark Side, War, Final, Infinite, Crisis on Infinite, Flashpoints. And it's it kind of you know suffers when it comes to that storytelling wise and having to be you know aligned so closely to that but i love the animation here this is probably the best of that era when it comes to animation when it comes to storytelling when it comes to the voice acting um jerry o'connell has been crushing it as superman for a really long time <laughs> and he he Pass the role on to Darren Chris for the Tomorrowverse, but I thought he was phenomenal in the role. Uh, this also gives us a great um, appearance from Bibbo, gives us Superman versus uh, Inner Gang, has the how I want every Superman movie, how I would want my Superman movies to start. Um, it's just an incredible movie adapting an incredible story. And it 100% deserves to be in the conversation of best DC animated movies. No question. At number three, we have Black Panther. This was a cultural moment. This was a touchstone. All the stuff that I talked about, Shang-Chi loving seeing someone that looked like me, being able to see kids dressing up as Shang-Chi, all of that was, you know, was preceded by Black Panther. Black Panther... You, you could not have cast a better T'Challa than Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman, on screen as in life, is iconic and completely irreplaceable. Period. They did this funny thing in Wakanda Forever where they're like, his son is also named T'Challa. And by the time we next see him, he will probably be aged up. So we will have our cake and eat it too when it comes to not recasting and yet needing a Black Panther. But... Chadwick Boseman was such a light, not just in the world, but in this movie. And this is a hard movie to watch because of how much he meant to the people who watched this film, who watched his other works, and who were touched, whose lives were touched by him. And it's a film that is 100% in the conversation for top 10 of all time when it comes to the MCU. Um, the performances alone, I think, absolutely carry it into that conversation. Uh, Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger. Andy Serkis as Claw. You got Lupita Nyong'o as Nakia. Uh, Letitia Wright as Shuri, before we all realized how terrible Letitia Wright is. Uh, Danai Guerrero as Okoye. Winston Duke as M'Baku. Like, this film is not just about... Black Panther, the character. This is about the legacy of what that character represents. This is about what that character is in the wider scope of fiction. Not just Marvel, not just superheroes, but fiction in general. Um, this was a film and an event that felt like an event. In all of the, you know, hype surrounding Infinity War and Thanos and everything coming around that, people... I would say we're just as much, if a, 
not a little bit more hyped for Black Panther and everything that that represented. Uh, there's a reason that it's one of the most successful films in the MCU. And it is a film that I always end up coming back to. The storytelling is so tight. And it, even though it does fall into the MCU trap of person versus person with same but villainous powers, uh, it's still for, you know, 90% of it is a wonderfully shot, choreographed, and, f- and acted film that absolutely deserves to be in the conversation of best uh, superhero film of all time. It just does, period. And also in that respect, at number two, it's Avengers Infinity War. Infinity War was another one of those moments, right? We'd gotten, you know, films that brought the Avengers back together, whether it was Civil War, Age of Ultron, anything in between. But Infinity War was this moment where it's like the universe has now gotten smaller. Because we get to see the Avengers team up with the Guardians of the Galaxy, who could not have been further away from each other up to this point, in service of defeating Thanos in his pursuit of the Infinity Stones. And this film might just be the best or the most well-told story in the MCU when it comes to, from start to finish, the writing, the performances, the cinematography. Um, This film has quite possibly the highest stakes in the entire MCU. Uh, It is wonderful to watch, wonderful to rewatch. It's dark as hell. Thanos is the main character, which we had never seen before. The villain getting treated as the main character of the film. Um, In... In some respects, it's kind of a, you know, universal heist film for Thanos and his Black Order trying to get the Infinity Stones. And it has some of my favorite moments in the MCU, period. And the fact that this led into Endgame and one cannot really exist without the other um, is a touchstone to how important those films are in the grander scope of comic book movies, not just the MCU. I will carry with me the feeling and the emotion of watching this film for the first time in a packed theater at midnight and walking out of that theater not knowing how to feel or how to react to what I had just witnessed for the rest of my life. I'm going to carry that experience with me forever. And the best movies leave you with that lasting impression will always conjure up memories of how you felt in that moment when you watched it, which is why it's not quite the best film for me of 2018. That honor goes to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. When I tell you that this might be my favorite superhero movie of all time, Depending on the day, and without me actually sitting down and putting that list together, I mean it. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is a film about heroism. But not just in the traditional sense of being a superhero. It's about being okay with heroism coming from somebody who doesn't believe they're heroic. It's about the fact that anyone can be a hero if they try, and if they believe in themselves. And if they also get bitten by a radioactive spider. But that's neither here nor there. This film also came out shortly after the death of Stan Lee. And I will never, ever in my wildest dreams forget 
seeing Stanley's cameo in this movie. And I'm going to get emotional. I'm going to get emotional. Um, ugh. I cried in this film several times. But this film showed to me and showed to the world that anyone could wear the mask, that anyone could be a superhero. From here, off the success of this, off the success of Black Panther, we saw the the MCU get a hell of a lot more ethnic. And I know that that sounds weird and might sound like, you know, whatever, but I think that it should be a badge of honor to see how much we have when it comes to uh, POC representation in superhero media since this. You know, there were obviously examples of it before. I'm not going to say there aren't ever. But this really gave people that excuse to say, well, what if Superman could be black? What if, you know, we could have a Asian-American Avenger? Like, all of these questions and all of these explorations that we've had kind of, for me, and it's okay if you disagree, but for me, stem from this. I will never forget watching this in the theater. I will never forget getting together with some of my best friends to watch this film and all of us crying throughout the movie. Um, And I'll never forget the feeling of walking out of that theater feeling like I could leap a tall building in a single bound because this movie told me that I could. It's, I mean, there there is no better feeling than a film making you believe that a person could fly. And that's what superhero media strives for. That's what, I mean... That's what fiction, good fiction, does, right? I think the the quote from Stan Lee that pops up at the end of the film and is, you know, still, still makes me tear up just thinking about it. You know, it says, that person who helps others simply because it should be, should be or must be done and because it is the right thing to do is indeed without a doubt a real superhero. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. That's what it's always been about to me. That's what it's been about to a lot of people. You know, Stanley and Steve Ditko passed, I think, within the same within a year of each other, and this film came out as a celebration of the idea that they had. God, sixty years ago, and the you know. The tribute to them saying, you know, thank you, Stanley and Steve Ditko, for telling us we weren't, th- for telling us we aren't the only ones to believe that, to believe that you could be a superhero. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Um, so that is uh, 2018 for me. Um, 2018 was a special year. It was the year that I began my journey into voice acting. Um, It was the year that I began this podcast. Um, It was the year that I began trying to make this impossible dream that I had had 
a reality. And I'm still on that journey. Five years later, we're all still on the journeys that we either started or continued on through with in 2018. And as I kind of look back at the movies that I've seen every single year since then, the podcasts that I've, you know, that I've put out since then, be they, be they good, bad, or indifferent, great quality, or awful audio quality, um, I am forever grateful for starting this podcast. I am forever grateful for getting to share this with all of you. I'm forever grateful for being able to do this every single week, twice a week for the last, you know, last couple years. And I will always be grateful that sitting down to start this podcast and you know, not knowing if anyone was going to like it, not knowing if anyone was going to enjoy my thoughts on superheroes or if anyone was going to, you know, be as enthusiastic about talking about superheroes as I have, as I was at the time. I was terrified. The friendships that I've made through this podcast since then have given me the greatest gift that I could ever imagine. And ultimately, that was telling me that there are a lot of people that like the same things I do. Um, a lot of people that, you know, dislike the things that I like, and that's okay. That's totally okay. Um, but what this podcast has done for me over the last five years, I can't thank you, the listener, enough, genuinely. Um, so from me to you listening to this, yes, you right now, specifically you listening to this, um, thank you for five years. Thank you for <sighs> listening to a guy who loves superheroes and comic books and letting me know that I wasn't the only one. My name is Barry Allen and I am the fastest man alive. When I was a child, I saw my mother killed by something impossible. My father went to prison for her murder. Then an accident made me the impossible. To the outside world, I'm an ordinary forensic scientist. But secretly, I use my speed to fight crime and find others like me. And one day, I'll find who killed my mother and get justice for my father. I am the Flash. It is now time for the Weekly Review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And this week we are reviewing episode number four of the final season of The Flash, entitled The Mask of the Red Death Part one. Now, this episode was a was a mixed bag for me, we'll say, because <laughs> um, I don't think that it quite hit as hard as it was supposed to. But in that same vein, I don't think it's nearly as bad as some prior seasons have been. And I want to say that 
I would say for this run on season nine as a whole, um, it's interesting to me that they decided to take this route with making uh, Ryan Wilder Batwoman, uh, Javisha Leslie, the Red Death. Uh, but I think there's a lot of stuff that you can do there. I think there are a lot of different narrative choices you can make and a lot of interesting choices when it comes to the performances and the narrative direction that you can take with her being the Red Death. And that is on full display in this episode. We get this great scene between her and Candace Patton, who plays Iris, and the two of them are fantastic. I really love the chemistry between the two of them on on film. Uh, Candace Patton has had to deal with a lot of bullshit when it comes to Iris and just the general sometimes lack of direction for her character. But her getting to play off of Javisha Leslie, who is phenomenal in what she does, it's just really fun. It's a really great ratcheting up the tension as the scene goes along. And the two of them having to kind of play this chess game with Iris figuring out what's going on pretty quickly and then having to just let right this ryan wilder kind of talk out what she's there to say it's really it's fun it is then kind of juxtaposed by just the corniest callback to batman 89 you want to get nuts let's get nuts uh but it's it's you know it, it's fun in kind of a ham-fisted way i do think that it's interesting to me that we are on episode four there's a 13 episode season and it kind of feels like we're already building to the finale uh, i know that the flash and other cw uh Arrowverse shows like to do this build to the mid-season there's a big mid-season blow off and there's some filler at the beginning of the back half but they don't have the luxury of having an extra 12 episodes to do that so i'm not exactly sure what they are working towards or how the narrative is going to sustain itself since it kind of feels like we're already heading to the end game we also get some real just not super interesting bits uh in this episode to kind of balance out the really interesting red death bits uh the joe and cecile stuff i kind of understand i get but it just it doesn't feel like they are really putting any real effort into making it interesting. They're just trying to say, this is why these characters aren't here, and we know it's the last season, so we're trying to give them an ending. Uh, that could change, and I hope that it changes, but it just kind of feels like a way to sideline them. And in the same vein, we, get, we continue on with this will-they-won't-they they with Chester and Allegra that I just... I don't really particularly enjoy. I feel like you could get a lot out of the two of them just getting together and having to deal with the growing pains of being in a workplace romance. But they are going back to the kind of tired trope of, oh, they're going to get together. No, they're not. It's the wrong time. Oh, this person's ready. Oh, this person's not ready. Oh, now that person's ready. But now this person isn't ready. So it's just not something I'm terribly interested in. But we saw some really cool throwbacks to the uh, legacy, we'll say, of the show. Rainbow Raider is back. We haven't seen Rainbow Raider in a real long time. And if you remember, Rainbow Raider was the very first villain of the crossover between 
Arrow and the Flash. So that was a cool callback. And then, again, Red Death continues to build out her rogues gallery. And I like I said, I am very interested in what we've got going on. And the best news of all, it seems like Chillblain has been iced. Ha! Oh, man, that was, uh... I, I want to say that I planned that, but that came off at spur of the moment, and I don't feel any better about it. Uh, but it looks like Chillblade might be dead, which I think is a net positive. <laughs> for me, personally, you might disagree, but for me, it was, uh, I just, I talked about it last week. I'm, I'm not a Chillblade dude, so... I'm kind of happy to see him go. It's just the funniest thing to see him show up in the opening crawl when they go through, like, the intro and they're showing all the important players. And then there's just Chillblain at the end of the, at the, end of the character intros. It's just strange. I never liked him. I don't think he ever really fit. And if he's dead here, we have, I mean, we have to go off the CW and we have to go off of superhero rules. If you don't see a body, he's not really dead. And even then, it's a 50-50 shot. We didn't see them kill him. They're probably just keeping him beaten and imprisoned. But we'll see. He's going to come back. It's going to be supposedly this big cheer moment. It's not going to land. But I am super interested in finding out what's going on in part two. Uh, I love that they were trying to build a cosmic treadmill. I love the idea behind that. I've always loved the cosmic treadmill just as a concept. And so that being a goal that they're trying to build a cosmic treadmill and they're grabbing the pieces throughout, you know, the first three episodes was really fun. I enjoyed that. And I'm excited to see what is next as we go on this collision course between the Flash and the Red Death. But that is going to do it for this week's weekly review. This next couple episodes are going to be a little tricky, because as we will talk about later, um, we're going to have to load up when it comes to the next few episodes. But I'll talk about that at the end of the episode. For now, let's roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop or comicsology or however you pick up your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And honestly, there were quite a few contenders, but ultimately I chose Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number 10. Written by The Hive Mind, art by Carmen Carnero, this book is continuing to be possibly my favorite Marvel book out right now. It is ridiculous what Carmen Carnero is doing. The Hive Mind obviously have a great handle on all the characters that are involved in the book, but Carmen Carnero's art is next level. And genuinely, I've said it before, I'll say it again, being a Captain America fan when it comes to comics is a good thing right now. Having both this and the Captain America Sam Wilson book is just, ah! Both books are doing so well right now, and I'm super hyped to see where uh, where Cold War comes in. I think it's next month. It's next month. Oh, oh, I'm stoked. It's going to be a great time. But that's last week's books. This week, we've got eight books for you to check out. So let's kick things off with Fantastic Four number five. This is written by Ryan North with art by Ivan Fiorelli. And 
this book has been just really interesting. I am kind of hot and cold when it comes to Fantastic Four runs. This one setting up the mystery in the first issue, finally explaining in issue four, of course, of Fantastic Four, was a fascinating choice. And the choices that they've made with our core four have been really interesting. I thought that the choice to have, obviously, Reed be at the center of everything bad happening once again is in one way true to the... I guess, spirit of Fantastic Four while also providing something that we haven't seen in a while. And where they go from here is, I mean, they could go anywhere from here. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis and see where they are going next. Up to scratch. The Fantastic Four are reunited and all is well until their convoy is interrupted by Nick Scratch and Salem Seven. It's an all-out magical battle for survival right there on the highway, and the Fantastic Four 100% fail to win it. That's right! This solicit isn't going the way you thought it would. As the truth of what happened is puzzled out, Reed, Sue, Ben, Johnny, and Alicia all realize that something more sinister has taken place, and their only hope of undoing it is in an impromptu voyage into the unknown. Um, huh. That's interesting. Uh, solicits rarely give you this much information and if they do it's not nearly as interesting sounding as this they did spoil i think issue two or issue three in the solicit as well so i'm i'm really curious to see what they do in this issue should be a good time next up we have a double header, a double feature of mutant adjacent books. First off, we have Nightcrawlers number two. This is written by Cy Spurrier with art by Andre Di Vito. And this is continuing on the Sins of Sinister event run who knows because we have these x-men books that are releasing at the exact same time that have nothing to do with Sins of Sinister though I don't know. It's I, I you would assume that this is going to be just redone, right? This is going to be undone. We're going to go back to the status quo, but we don't know with all of the nonsense going on right now. So Who's to say exactly what's going to happen here? Uh, I really enjoyed the first Nightcrawlers book, and I'm interested to see what they do with the second issue. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. 100 years since the sinister era began. 100 years. Wagnerine and her gene-spliced assassins are holy thieves, servants to a cosmic cult. Let the heist liturgy be spoken. Loot the ashes of Asgard, raid the tombs of Otherworld, pick the pockets of the Marvel Universe, and build the sacred weapon. And let us bear witness to the final fate of the first, the fallen fiend who was once known as Nightcrawler. Yeah, they've been teasing a lot of stuff uh, with what we come to expect of Nightcrawler's journey here. I am kind of blown away by the whole 100 years later thing, but they already did like the 10 years later, so I guess they, it makes sense. We're just going to keep going. Um, this holy heists, holy thieves sounds really interesting, and it's a fun play on how much... Uh, religious iconography has been 
kind of imbued into Nightcrawler, especially in the Krakoa era. So I'm, I'm curious to see what they do here. And then also featuring Marvel's Merry Mutants, we have X-Men number 20. This is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Stefano Caselli. And this is continuing the crossover between uh, X-Men and Captain Marvel. So I am very interested in this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Lord of the Brood, part two. When the X-Men's close friend Brew became the Brood King, he gained the ability to control the savage alien race he was both a part of and so different from. Now he is experiencing his own nightmare scenario. The Brood are killing his friends, and there is nothing he can do to stop it. Whoa, interesting, interesting, interesting. I am... I'm not sure exactly what to think of this event or this crossover because i mean i've never really kept up with the brood i think brew is possibly one of my favorite x-men characters but once he went off he ate i think it was like the the king or the queen egg became the leader of the brood and i'm still not sure exactly how that works so i'm really curious i'm excited to see what they do with the book and how they translate brew kind of losing the control of his hive next up we have batman number 133 this is written by chip zadarsky with art by mike hawthorne and miguel mendoncha uh this book has been great this book has been fantastic i've been loving every single issue of the chip zadarsky run and i'm excited to have that continue so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis the batman of gotham part three slash the toy box part three Everyone goes insane eventually, and then they belong to the terrifying Red Mask. But Gotham City has a new savior. He strikes from the shadows, exhumes the dead, and is known only as the Batman. And in our backup story, Tim Drake's search for Batman continues as he and Superman John Kent team up to stop the terror of the Toy Man. I, I, st- I, li- I, I love I love the combination of Tim and John doing their thing. Uh, it's just really cool. It's just really cool to see them um, teaming up. And I've been really enjoying the Batman on an alternate Earth that has no Batman storyline that we've been getting for this arc. Uh, all, all things are great. I know we make this complaint a lot of times that DC is just Batman and his friends, but this Batman book's been really strong, so I can't I can't knock them for that. Next up, we have The Amazing Spider-Man, number 21. This is written by Zeb Wells with art by John Romita Jr. And in this issue, we get the answer. What did Peter do? Or at least, I guess, in this arc. Uh, we're supposed to be finding out what happened, why the marriage or the uh, relationship between Peter and MJ has been put on ice once again, we're going to get some answers starting right here. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. What happened to Peter and Mary Jane? It's time. This arc will answer your questions, including what did Peter do? Who caused all of this? So we've been ballying around that question what did peter do since the announcement of this run and i am 
I mean, I can't wait. I can't wait to finally find out. I love that the cover has one of those old school exclamation boxes where it's like, this is it! The story arc you've been waiting for! I know a lot of the detractors of Spider-Man are going to say, yeah, we've been waiting 21 issues to find out the answers to the first issue, which I get totally valid, but I've been really enjoying the series so far. So I'm excited to get some answers. I'm excited to get some context for what we have been dealing with since the beginning of this run, and I can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have The Flash, number 794. This is written by Jeremy Adams with art by Roger Cruz, and in this issue... We are getting Irie's codename. We've been getting this teased. This has been well over at least a couple months in the making. I cannot wait to find out what Irie's new name is. I can't wait to find out how the One Minute War continues. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The One Minute War, Part 5. Thunder in Her Heart. The Fraction is moments away from victory, but they forgot about one thing. An almost ten-year-old with red hair and the power to turn things around. Finally, Irie West has found her new superhero name, and she intends to use it while saving the Flash family from certain doom. I'm just going to put in Rewind. I'm going to say her name is Rewind, though I have no basis for that. Um, I'm recording this before the issue drops because DC books drop on Tuesdays, so I have no idea. But with that synopsis, I think it would be an interesting name for her. But we'll see. I can't wait to find out. One Minute War has been really fun, even though last issue may have killed my boy. We'll see. We'll just have to see. Can't wait to pick this issue up. This is going to be one for the books. Next up, we have The Scarlet Witch number three. This is written by Steve Orlando with art by Sarah Pacelli, Pacelli Cinderella. I love this run so far. The first two issues have been incredibly strong, and issue three is is going to bring us a character that I have been waiting to show up. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Enter Polaris. When Polaris's visit to her sister's new magic shop is interrupted by a microscopic warrior desperate for aid, Polaris and the Scarlet Witch put their own mystery on hold to help on a fantastic journey through Subatomica. Meanwhile, the dark past of Wanda's enigmatic shop clerk Darcy Lewis comes back with a vengeance. I've been waiting to see what they're going to do with Darcy, and it looks like we're going to finally be getting some answers here. I also just, I dig Scarlet Witch and Polaris coming together. I'm wondering if this is going to be involving Micromax, or Ant-Man, or Eric O'Grady, but I can't wait to pick this up. This book has been really, really interesting so far, and I can't wait to see what they have in store for us next. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up with a brand new number one is Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number one. This is written by Tom Taylor, art by Clayton Henry. This begins the road to injustice. Uh, For those of you who are not in the know... Tom Taylor announced that this book is going to be leading directly into the return of his Injustice universe, which he established in the pages of Injustice, uh, Justice Year One, Justice Year Two, and Justice Two Year One, all that stuff. I can't wait. I can't wait for the for John to be the Superman of the multiverse. We've also gotten the. Um, 
the reveal that Valzad will be popping up here. Two of my favorite supermen teaming up to deal with a multiversal threat. Let's go! Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis and find out what this first issue is all about. Countdown to Injustice, Chapter 1, Into the Multiverse. Another Superman has fallen. Across the multiverse, Kal-El's are being murdered. Valzad, the Superman of Earth 2, believes only one man can help stop the killing. Kal-El's son, John Kent. John will have to step across dimensions and face the killer of the Kal-El's, the monstrous Ultraman, the man who kidnapped and tortured him for years. And Valzad is not acting alone in trying to save the Superman. Who is the mysterious woman alongside him, and what is her shocking connection to the Super family? Yeah, I have no idea. I'm really excited to see what they have in store for this. Uh, this book has been highly hyped, and for good reason. We're getting Injustice. We're getting Valzad. We're getting John Kent. We're getting the return of Ultraman and all of the baggage that the Ultraman-John Kent feud has for us. I can't wait to pick this up. Uh, we're also getting the beginning of John's Electric Blue phase, and I can't wait to see how that is going to shake up for Metropolis's favorite son. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But that does it for this week's Comics Countdown, our fifth anniversary of doing the Comics Countdown. This is, um, yeah, this is crazy. To recap, we have Fantastic Four number five, Nightcrawlers number two, X-Men number 20, Batman, number 133, The Amazing Spider-Man, number 21, The Flash, number 794, Scarlet Witch, number 3, and Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number 1. Lots of books to pick up this week from every corner of the multiverse, which means when you head to your comic book shop this week, there will be literally something for everyone. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, podcast, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here on the podcast. You can write literally whatever you want. I will be forced to read every single word. As long as you give me those five stars, the sky's the limit on what you can write. And you'll be able to join the likes of our Fantastic 14, including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, Alok and AZ, Sass, Jedi Jesse 20, and Ken4656. Thank you so much to all these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. If you want to be part of the Geek Explained mailbag send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com put mailbag in the subject header and i will read it here on the wednesday show if you want to follow us keep up to date with the podcast participate in polls that decide future episodes or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news and there is oh boy there is plenty of it to go around this year and to discuss uh feel free to follow us on instagram and twitter at geeksplained pod that's at geeksplained p-o-d and finally, continuing on the festivities of our five-year... It's still, it's still 
blows my mind. Uh, continuing on our five-year anniversary celebration, this Friday, the actual anniversary of this podcast, March 10th, 2018, was our very first episode. In March 10th, 2023, this Friday, we will be dropping the latest session of the Geek Explained Book Club, where every single Friday, I, alongside my fellow Cape Crusaders, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, are going through every single issue of every single volume of Grant Morrison's Batman. This week... It's something pretty special. It's something kind of ridiculous. We are going to be covering the entire Final Crisis event, consisting of the full seven-issue miniseries, as well as the Batman tie-ins written by Grant Morrison. That's going to be, I believe, issues... 683 and 684, as well as 702. Um, There is a bunch of stuff to discuss. And you'll be able to ring in the five-year anniversary of the podcast with me, Jacob, and Malcolm. So join us on Friday. Gotham Fridays are a real thing, so be there or be square, not a circle. But that's going to do it for this week's episode and that's going to do it for this volume of the geek explain podcast uh this has been kind of wild uh looking back at how the year has gone uh i started last year's this you know around this time uh getting ready for a big hiatus getting ready for a break because i had been burnt out uh with the podcast and i wanted to give myself some space some time to recharge and As we kind of close the book on volume five of the podcast, I am really excited at where the podcast is at. I'm really excited at where the podcast is going, and I hope you will join me uh, first week of April as we continue on this journey with volume six. That's right. You heard me correctly. Uh, The next three weeks in March, we are going to be going on hiatus on the Wednesday show. So the 15th, the 22nd, and the 29th, there will be no Wednesday show. However, the 17th, 24th, and 31st, those Fridays, we will still be having the Geek Explained book club. So you will be able to get your Geek Explained fix every single Friday for the rest of March. And we will be kicking off volume six on April 5th, 2023, just a few short weeks away. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to take a break, but I want to, you know, make the breaks between the volumes mean something and also, you know, give myself some uh, some much needed recharge time. So I am very excited to continue on. Uh, it's been a wild five years. I didn't think when I started this podcast uh, in 2018 that I was going to be doing it for a year, much less five years. <laughs> so um, I'll probably get a little bit more introspective as we uh, as we get into the book club this Friday. But I want to say thank you to each and every one of you who have been listening to the podcast, whether it's been um, from the very beginning you jumped down somewhere in between or whether you have been jumping on just recently. Uh, I want to say thank you to everyone who has taken the time out of their day to listen to me ramble, (laughs) whether I had a guest on the show or whether it was just me or whether we were doing the book club. It means the world to me. This has been a labor of love. I think if you are familiar at all with running a podcast, with producing a podcast, it is a thankless position. So um, it really does... You know, it it fills my heart 
when people uh, let me know that they've been listening to the podcast, whether they've been enjoying the podcast, or even if something, you know, has, if they've learned anything, because that's, you know, that's what geeks fighting is in, in the best way. You know, I'm, I, I think when I started this podcast, I wanted to take back the term geeks fighting and make it not have a negative connotation. And I've been trying very hard to build that out uh, over the last five years. And, you know, maybe I've done it, maybe I have it. Who knows? But um, again, gratitude, gratitude, gratitude to everyone who has been listening to the podcast. It means the world to me, fills my heart with joy. And uh, again, going to be a short break, rest of March, no Wednesday episodes, but we will still be having book club every single Friday. We got a schedule to keep people and you know, we've got some really cool stuff on the book club this year. So make sure you tune in every Friday for the rest of March for the Geek Explained book club. And we will be right back here in four weeks time on April the 5th to kick off volume six and year six of the podcast. I hope you join me there. But for the Geek Explained podcast, that is going to do it for me for the Wednesday show for Volume 5. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who's listened this year and every year preceding. And uh, I hope you continue to listen. I hope you continue to enjoy the podcast. Uh, the whole reason that I do this, and I've been saying it for years and I'll continue to say it, this is a podcast for geeks by a geek. So hopefully you get some kind of uh, geekery can fulfillment. I don't know what I'm trying to say there. Geek fulfillment, whatever, uh, by listening to the podcast. It means the world to me that you do listen and uh, I never take that for granted. So thank you so much. I'm going to wrap things up here. I'm starting to ramble. So uh, once again, I I will see you right back here on Friday for our final crisis coverage, as well as our five-year anniversary uh, on the date of celebration. So join us for that. Uh, join me on April 5th, back on the Wednesday grind uh, for the start of Volume 6. But for now, for the Explain podcast for the past five years... I've been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Genuinely. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I think I said that five times. Uh, thank you for listening. I hope everyone is staying safe, and we will see you next time.